and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Rotato Podcast. We have an awesome episode lined up for you guys and gals today. Jen, the first lady of the Couch Rotato Podcast, is joining me in studio to discuss Martin Scorsese's 2013 film, The Wolf of Wall Street. As you all know that I've listened to this show on occasion, Jen's always a fantastic guest, and she offered to step in last minute so I didn't have to do this one on my own. So it's going to be a fantastic episode. Hope you guys and gals really like what you hear today. So after this trailer, the Couch Rotato Podcast presents to you The Wolf of Wall Street. My name is Jordan Belfort. I was raised in a tiny apartment in Queens. First rule of Wall Street. Nobody knows if a stock is going to go up, down. It's like that. I started my own firm out of an abandoned auto body shop. Is that your car on what? Yeah. You show me a pay stuff, I quit my job right now. Hey, listen, I quit. Yeah, I'm going into stocks. It's all this legal. This is insane. <laughs> Trying to make a name for ourselves. The Wolf of Wall Street. Rated R. December 25th. We have Jen joining us live in the studio today. And first off, I want to thank you for bailing me out. I really don't like doing episodes by myself. It feels weird just talking to the open air. So I do thank you for joining me today. Um, I was a little surprised you wanted to do Wolf of Wall Street. This doesn't really seem like uh, one of the movies that you would come on and talk about. So uh I wanted to ask you, uh, first time you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, and what were your initial impressions after you'd seen it? So the first time I seen The Wolf of Wall Street was in the theaters in 2013 when it came out, and I loved it from the moment I seen it. I mean, it has Leonardo DiCaprio, it has Jonah Hill, it has Matthew McConaughey for a brief moment. It's directed by Martin, Martin Scorsese, which is one of your favorite directors. He is. He's put out many solid films. And it was definitely done in his traditional style. And I just thought that it was brilliantly brilliantly done. Yeah. Um, I know when I seen the trailers for this, I was, uh, to me anyways, the trailers didn't really match what kind of movie we got. I expected this to kind of be your typical Scorsese fair where he kind of does a study on kind of deplorable characters, which it seems to be his wheelhouse. You know, he's, probably best known for doing uh good taxi driver raging bull like uh movies about a a certain person or a group of people that are uh less than savory characters in society he tries to tell a, a story and usually there's some kind of redemption quality in his movies um i wouldn't expect an old marty to do a, a comedy that to me i see uh the wolf of wall street as a comedy like a black comedy and I think that the uh, that was actually the best way to do this because I don't think you can do a three-hour movie about people that are doing just, Jesus Christ, enough drugs to, well, he says in the beginning, like, he does enough drugs for, uh, was it, Queens and Long Island for a month? Something like that, yes. Yeah, and just people that are uh, just stealing people's livelihoods for three hours and like i don't think you could have done that without having these people at least be funny to where you can at least kind of have a sort of a rooting interest in them you know what i mean 
I I could definitely agree with that. Um, I think if it was going to be done in traditional Martin Scorsese style and not have so much of a comedic effect, it would have to be more so, well, at least to capture the audience's interest anyhow, it would have to be done more in a spectrum of like an hour to 40 minutes to like in two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah. I know uh, a lot of people that I know of, uh, that's their chief complaints. The runtime is it's three hours long. And like for me personally, uh, it took me a couple nights to get through this again. Cause I had seen it quite a while. And I think the only reason I, I did this episode is, uh, well, we'll get into the tail of tape in a minute, but, uh, I, I don't know, I just had a, a curiosity to revisit it for some reason. So I started watching it and I got halfway through. I'm like, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just finish it off and I'll just do an episode about it. I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm glad that you done it. I can't say that I've heard many discussions about this movie really online or podcast wise as of recent. I don't know if it has to do with the fact that it's so dated or if it has to do with the fact that it is actually such a long movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of it's just the fact that uh, um, Martin Scorsese kind of had, he's done a few films since then. So usually mm-hmm. like with, with his stuff, it's like, unless it's something as iconic as Goodfellas, uh, you don't hear a lot about some of his movies. Um, so that's probably why it kind of hasn't like been in the social conscience as much, but I think it's still a prevalent movie today as it was 10 years ago. Cause I mean, we still see every day that greed is still very prevalent in our society, just kind of in a different mode. Now it's not so much stockbrokers stealing people's money. It's corporations stealing from their their workers, but it's still the same thing. I mean, greed is just as prevalent today as it was 10 years ago when this movie came out. So it's actually, it's pretty, pretty topical even to this day. Oh, I would agree with that. I mean, you still see some of that in stockbroking as to stealing and things of that nature. I mean, you know, the Enron is a good example of that. You have a lot of, yeah, right. You have a lot of the Bitcoin that that's more of like, I guess, like the modern day stealing from investors is, you know, the, the Bitcoin. I don't think Bitcoin really is. I think Bitcoin is just kind of a. Well, Bitcoin just had um, somebody who, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he, he actually has been charged with several federal crimes and i believe he was indicted and is going to prison if i'm not mistaken oh well he um you're my news person i um, don't really watch the news i can't i can't think of his his name off the top of my head but he's a thief he's a thief and i want to say his first name is justin i'll have to google it and and come back to this but he was a lot like um jordan belfort in that he talked a really good game. He talked about how Bitcoin or, you know, cryptocurrency is like the next big thing and get in it while you can and blah, blah, blah. And what he was doing it was is he was taking his investors' money to basically keep his company afloat and 
make his company look like it was this bright, bright, shining star. So he was taking investors' money and using it on marketing and using it on paying his employees and paying himself, you know, to obviously have an extravagant lifestyle. So his image meant what his company said it was going to do. So he's kind of, in a sense, the like, the modern Jordan Belfort. But like I said, I would have to look up more of his details, but that's more so how things have changed now compared to when Jordan Belfort was a prominent figure in the investment world is things now are just getting more digital. Like you're seeing cryptocurrency. You're seeing now you're seeing a lot of big things with investing in AI, open AI specifically as a company so I wouldn't be at all surprised if in the next couple of years we had somebody like a Jordan Belfort, but in, you know, again, in the crypto world or AI or something like that, where, you know, they're talking up this big game that this is the next big thing, but they're stealing people's money. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I'm sure it's something that happens uh, every day. Um one thing that I always ask people that uh, I that have seen this movie, how do you feel about movies like this and like just movies in general where they they kind of like the main protagonist is kind of a piece of shit human being, and the focus of the movie is about them and like in a style like this, even though you know Leonardo DiCaprio and his uh, motley crew of uh, stockbrokers are stealing people's money, I mean you can't help but you know be fascinated and just want as much as of you ca- as you can of them, and you kind of almost feel yourself rooting for them to an extent. Um, like, do you feel like bad about like like you feel like I I'm kind of rooting for someone like this to to win, or like you know what I mean? Like you. I know, you know they're a despicable human being, and you know it's a, f- a fictitious tale. But at the end of the day, still, you're kind of rooting for somebody that's doing something bad. Like, I don't know, how do you feel about stuff, stuff like that? Or do you just kind of see it as something where this is a fictitious tale? I would never root for someone like this in real life, but i just engrossed by the performance. Or what? how do you feel about something like that? Well, I mean, I guess the thing with this movie is that it's actually based on a real story. Yeah. I mean, there is a real Jordan Belfort. He actually makes a brief cameo in the movie at the end of the movie when the fictitious Jordan Belfort, as portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio, um, he is trying to make money in an honest way, and then he gets arrested, and then they have him wear a wire, and so on and so forth. And then when he eventually gets out of prison... He's trying to make an honest living, but can I say fictitiously, even though it's based on a real story, fictitiously, am I rooting for them? Not so much. I'm more so rooting for them to get their shit together and do things honestly, because as a stockbroker, you can make a lot of money. It might just take longer to make $20 million than three months, you might have to work for three years to make that versus three months. So I think the fascination is just the total ridiculousness that comes with the lifestyle. And I think for me, that's why I guess I don't want to say that I'm rooting for them because I would never root for someone who is stealing from someone else, especially in real life. 
a lot of times investors are giving up like their entire, they're just average middle-class people that are giving up their 401ks and their life savings and they're taking out a second mortgage on their house because they have someone that they're trusting who's saying you're going to strike it rich. So I think more so the rooting in this movie more so goes you're rooting to see what ridiculousness happens next. It's not so much that you're rooting for someone to steal from another because I don't condone that and I would never root for anyone like that in real life. And I definitely think that the comeuppance that was received in real life to John Jordan Belfort was due um, because he cheated people out of money and his cronies cheated people out of money and they lied and they stole and, and that's wrong. But at the same token, when you're looking at it from a fictitious point of view, you're looking at it years after the actual real events happened and Jordan Belfort served his time to society and and hopefully I haven't read about about him a lot as a person in real life but I'm my hope would be that after he got out of federal prison he took the honest route and did things the right way and did what he should have done but even so when he was in prison he was in a federal prison and got special privileges because he had money so that just goes to show that if you have money the world can be a lot different for you than somebody who doesn't have any at all. And I that's not really something that in a real life basis that I could root for. Yeah. I think in the movie, it's more so you're rooting for what bullshit is going to happen next. Mm -hmm. If you're wondering what uh, Wolf of Wall Street about is about, um, this is uh, what the fuck is this movie about? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is about... The true story of George Belfort, his rise to a uh, becoming a wealthy stockbroker, living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. So uh, that's what this uh, movie's about. Um, the tale of the tape, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, was released on December the 25th, 2013, uh, getting ready to celebrate its 10th anniversary. So uh, happy birthday, Wolf of Wall Street. This movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, Matthew McConaughey, Kyle Chandler, John Bernthal, and just a slew of people that if you've seen them, you may not know their name. You would definitely recognize the face. Uh, quite a few of, as uh, they call on the rewatchables, that that guy. So uh, pretty loaded cast. Uh, this movie was directed, of course, by Martin Scorsese. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 80% from critics and 83% from audiences. This movie did $406 million worldwide on a $100 million budget, nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor for Leonardo DiCaprio, and Best Supporting Actor for Jonah Hill which they did not win any of those uh, awards. And you can watch this currently on Paramount+. Plus. Not the cock? Not the cock. Uh, this one's not featured on the cock this time. Shit. Now, you know, we got we to gotta spread the love to the other streaming services, that's, too. That's you know? true. There's a lot of them out there. So you, you got to just get it where you can. 
Um, did you know uh, this is a section of the show where we give you some facts and little tidbits on the behind the scenes uh, to do on the movie? There was quite a bit to choose from, so I had to kind of cherry pick, but you can uh, look it up online. Tons of cool little tidbits about this movie. Um, this movie, of course, was uh, based on the memoir from George Belfort, who wrote the book Wolf of Wall Street after serving 22 months in prison for fraud and other charges. And as I found out in my research, uh, he did time with Tommy or Tommy Chong, the famous stoner comedian actor, and he's the one to encourage Jordan to write a book based on his story. I always forget that Tommy Chong went to federal prison, but I can't remember why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it was for either, but I, I don't remember whether they were cellmates. Was it tax evasion? I don't think it was tax It evasion. wasn't? Okay. But uh, yeah, he's the one that encouraged him to write the book, mm, which okay. he ended up selling. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Warner Brothers won a bidding war for the film rights in 2007. And uh, Martin Scorsese was attached to direct this, but he left after spending six months working on the movie and Warner Brothers failed to greenlight it. So after Scorsese left, Warner did approach Ridley Scott to direct it, but he eventually uh, turned it down and Warner Brothers just kicked it to the curb altogether. I wonder what kind of movie this would have been with Ridley Scott. I don't think it would have been kind of the... Uh, the frantic, maniacal movie that it is. Didn't he direct Rain Man? No, Mar uh, Ridley Scott, uh, no. Alien, oh. Blade Runner, Gladiator, The Martian, just to name a few. Yeah, that might have been a very different movie had he directed it for sure with some of those names. Now, I thought this next tidbit was extremely fascinating considering that this movie is essentially about someone stealing people's money. Okay. Uh, after uh, Warner Brothers dropped this, Red Granite Pictures uh, decided to uh, put up the entire budget of the movie, and they financed this movie. And turns out the CEO, Riz, Riza Aziz, was implicated in a money laundering scheme <laughs> where uh, they were siphoning billions and billions of dollars from a Malaysian developmental fund. Billions and billions? Yeah. Holy shit. They were stealing money from this Malaysian developmental fund to basically fund a extravagant lifestyle for themselves. You know what? I think I just read... I think I just read something about that or heard it on a podcast. That sounds really familiar. Yeah. Really uh, familiar. Yeah. Uh, there's a book about I forget What's the name. What's the of, name again? R who? His name is Riza Aziz. Man, I know I've heard I'm I've sure heard you that have. Name. Yeah, it was yeah. A, a big to-do. But yeah, they were stealing uh, money to finance this lavish life. Billions and billions? Yeah. That's insane. To, uh, basically to support a lavish lifestyle. And they used money from that fund to uh, finance Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. And uh, as a matter of fact, his, uh, his indictment uh, caused his uh, stepfather, the Malaysian prime minister, to have to step down. I have, man, I want to say this might have been on NPR or... I listened to a pot, some kind of podcast series about this, but I heard about this very recently. Like, yeah. didn't he just step down very, the prime minister, I, minister of Malaysia stepped down very, like, 
not like last week, but I'm talking about in the past couple months. I um, think he stepped down because this sounds really familiar. Uh, I am not 100% sure. I didn't get into... Uh, that sounds so familiar. But you said it was his production company? Yeah, it right? was Red Granite Pictures. As a matter of fact, uh, they were uh, charged by the U.S. government. They paid uh, $60 million. It was like a fine. That's That's it. They stole billions of dollars from people. You said red light pictures? Red granite pictures. Red granite. They stole money from Malaysian taxpayers, right? No, it was the uh it was the one Malaysia developmental fund. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Or one gotcha. MDB. Does that sound okay. familiar? It does. Yeah. So the guy that was responsible for that, that was the son of the prime minister? Yeah, the stepson. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And that funded this movie. Wow. Yep. Well, actually, it looks like the, uh, according to this, a in 2015, a document leak reported in The Edge, the Sarwak Report, and the Wall Street Journal showed that Malaysia's then Prime Minister, Najib Razak, had channeled over $2.67 billion of uh, Malaysian ringgit, I think that's their currency, which that's uh, the equivalent of $700 million U.S. into his personal bank accounts from the 1MDB, a government-run strategic development company. $700 million. My God. Yeah. Yep. That's a lot of freaking money. (laughs) And all Red Granite Pictures got was a slap on the wrist, and they had to pay $60 million. Now, I guess they have not funded any movies since then oh. i think that the studio has been shut down since what did what, what year i'm sorry i, I imagine 2000 this came out in 2013 so uh-huh. i uh, so shortly thereafter yeah a couple like, of years after okay okay yeah i just thought that was incredibly fascinating considering yeah, like, it's like a definite oxymoron for sure <laughs> yeah um jonah hill was so desperate to work with martin scorsese that he agreed to do the movie for sixty thousand dollars which is the what? sag after a minimum. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's what he did it for? Yeah, he, he took $60,000 to do this movie. So basically, Morton Scorsese didn't really, wasn't seeking him out. I don't think he know? was like actively like, hey, I want Jonah Hill for right. this. I mean, I thought Jonah Hill did great in this movie. Well, I mean. For I'm, what he played, I mean. I'm surprised that actually he didn't get uh, more consideration. Although I'm... I, I couldn't find out exactly why, but uh, I'm wondering if it wasn't they didn't think they could afford him because actually Jonah Hill had just come off of uh, Moneyball, which he got nominated for an Oscar for that movie right, too. Right. So he was kind of starting to gain some steam as a dramatic actor. Right. And I would imagine that probably it had more so to do with like we can't really afford someone like Jonah Hill mm. to be the co-lead in this. But I think Jonah Hill maybe did it so cheap because he knew it would get him clout. Yeah, well, I for mean... acting in a movie like that, and then I'm guessing it likely led to more roles, or that was the I don't intent. think he's... I think that was the last time he's been nominated for an Oscar mm. was for this. I don't... I was going to say, I don't remember him being in... Because when did um, Superbad come out? Oh, super bad was well before it was this. before that, right? That's what I thought. So I mean that that was kind of when he was first getting into acting, right? He had been in some stuff, but like his first breakthrough that was role his was comedic su- bullshit days, and then 
by this point, I would he was call it bullshit even, days. He had some pretty well, awesome he did, movies. But I mean, he was he was more in like comedic movies. This is more so when he was playing more serious, dramatic type of roles and not just like goofy bullshit characters, which he was still beloved for. But I, I think maybe he thought acting in this would just give him more clout and, and segue into more serious yeah. starring type roles would be my thought anyhow. And an opportunity to work with one of the greatest of all time. Well, yeah, of course. Absolutely. The fake cocaine used in this movie is actually crushed up vitamin B powder. <laughs> they were uh, sniffing vitamin B? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Jonah Hill had caught bronchitis and had to be hospitalized due to the excessive use of the vitamin B powder. Did he get bronchitis from using it? Yeah, he got, really? I guess he got really sick. Uh, he did an interview with Howard Stern. I think it was a couple of, a, it was shortly after the movie had come out. Mm-hmm. And he had said that, yeah, he got sick doing the, the vitamin B powder. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, this is the first major role in a U.S. picture for Margot Robbie. Oh, okay. Uh, before that, she had appeared in a small movie called About Time, and she was best known for her role in the Australian soap opera Neighbors. She's Australian, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what and of I course, thought. now she's arguably probably one of the, I would say she's probably the biggest female star in the world at this moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, After coming off Barbie. Barbie, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, Matthew McConaughey filmed his uh, brief cameo during the second week of filming. The chest pounding exercise that he does at the, the table with Leo. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a exercise that he does to get mentally prepared for uh to go on in front of the camera. And I guess Leo had seen him doing that and he wanted them to incorporate that into the movie. So that's when mm-hmm. he did that. So he from, does that in real life. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's become a big thing too. I guess like a lot of, it's very popular in the sports world now from what I was reading. Did they get that from Matthew McConaughey? Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this movie had set a Guinness World Record for the most swear you swear words used in a movie with 506. Really? Yeah, and then it was eclipsed a short time later, within a year, by uh, Swearing at the Movie, which uh, stars uh, the cast of one of our favorite television shows, Trailer Park Boys. Oh. Yeah, they, they trumped it about a year later. Did they When they did their movie? Yeah, the, they did a movie called Swearnet. I've never heard of it. I... Don't think a lot of people have. Trailer Park Boys did a movie called Swearnet. The the actors that are in Trailer Park Boys, but they weren't Trailer Park Boys in that movie. No, I think. Okay. But yeah, they set the the record a year later. Oh, interesting. And uh, this one I thought was uh, kind of fascinating too. Uh, This is Martin Scorsese's highest grossing movie. Really? Mm -hmm. He's had a lot of movies. That's. Surprising. Yeah. This, so, what did this gross then in theaters altogether worldwide? Uh, you were not paying attention during the tail of the tape. I gave you those exact numbers. I know. I missed to it. the minute detail. Did you say that? I'm sorry. Can you repeat yourself? My bad. Well, just like at home, you don't listen to me when oh, I speak. Oh my goodness! To reiterate, the box office for this was four hundred and six million dollars worldwide on a hundred million dollar budget. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now to get into the meat potatoes of this movie, 
Um, I find uh, found a couple of uh, categories that we're getting ready to do very difficult to pinpoint just one. Okay. And uh, the first category we're getting into is the uh, Martin Scorsese. Ha ha ha. Yeah, we did that intentionally. This is Cinema Award for the best scene of the movie. Okay. This was incredibly difficult for me to pinpoint just one. Okay. I don't know how uh, it worked for you, but so I wanted to get your uh, take on uh, what was your favorite I, scene of this well, movie. Well, I mean, I have a specific one because this has been my favorite scene the two to three times that I've seen this movie. And it's when Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill take the lewds that are like the higher strength. And I can't think the of the lemon lewds. The lemon lewds, that. So they're like the green, the Cadillac of quaaludes or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So. Jonah Hill gets them from some drug dealer, but they're they take them and they're like, "Oh, he told me one is enough." Da 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 da. So they take them, and I want to say, a half hour, forty five minutes later, they're in Leonardo DiCaprio's personal gym, and they're not filling anything. So they check the bottle, and they're expired, like ten years expired or something crazy. So they're like, "Let's go ahead and take another because it might take between two to four to." fill what you should fill because they're expired. So they take another and they still don't fill anything. So then everything goes to shit at the office. And I'm trying to think of what goes to shit, but um, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's private investigator says, I need to talk to you, but I can't talk to you on this line. You need to find a payphone. So he drives to the country club, which is like a mile down the road from his house he finds a payphone. He calls the private investigator, and as he's starting to talk to him, the lewds kick in full effect. And I think by that point, he had had like four in within, I don't know, two hours' time or, or whatever. He is so high, he can't even talk on the phone. He, he can't even make out legible you know or not legible but he can't make out words that you can understand like it's just mumbo jumbo like what i just said (sighs) whatever and then he just loses complete control of his body and he falls on the floor he can't it's like he's paralyzed with some type of you know paralytic like he's getting ready to have anesthesia for surgery or something he literally has to crawl to the phone and and whomever the private investigator can't remember his name, can't even understand him. He crawls to his car and, and he thinks he's going to be able to make it home because, you know, he's a mile down the road and he's going to figure it out. So he gets home and he's like, I got home. No problem. And he's still just high as fuck. And he's trying to get Jonah Hill, if I'm not mistaken, to not talk on the phone be to uh, his wife or, or he's calling who was it he was Jonah Hill was calling somebody and I can't remember who off the top of, of my head but he, he didn't want him to be specific on the phone because his phone his phone lines were tapped and he's trying to get in the house and then him and Jonah Hill Jonah Hill's also high and and whomever's on the other end can't understand him either and they're just like throwing things at one another and they're and they're trying to talk to one another but that's all that comes out and i just think that that scene is so brilliant because the acting is just so well done they're throwing things they're sliding on the floor they're um and then at one point Jonah Hill gets something 
a sandwich or something caught in his throat and he's choking and Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, eventually gets it out and then come to find out the FBI comes with the search warrant and hit, or I'm sorry, not a search warrant. The cops show up at his house because his Ferrari is totaled. Like he thought it looked fine. And then he kind of shakes his head and like you can tell like he's like trying to clear his vision because he's just so addled with drugs and his Ferrari is just like totaled. And then it goes back. It's like a, a flashback of what actually happened at the country club. And he hit like two cars and he hit a bush and he hit a sign and he hit a whole bunch of other shit. And I, I want to say that whole sequence is like maybe five to 10 minutes long, but I just think that it's just so brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's definitely my favorite scene by far. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. For me, it's tough. I really dug the scene when Kyle Chandler, the FBI, he's the FBI agent doing mm-hmm. the investigation. Right. Uh, they visit him on his yacht. Mm. And basically, Jordan's basically telling him, like, hey, you know, like what he does and how he can help him out. And I really legitimately thought that he had Kyle Chandler, like, you know, they had portrayed like Chandler's FBI agents, like kind of this, like, kind of this howdy duty boy scout type right and i'm like i'll be damned he's fucking got him yeah and then thinking for a minute that he's definitely gonna fall for it and then all of a sudden like he makes that he alludes to bribing him Mm -hmm. and then like when he invites the other fbi agent Mm -hmm. to come over and they're like nope he didn't get him Mm -hmm. and i just love how uh, afterward he's basically like rubbing it in kyle chandler's face that how rich he is and how like you know, he's going to be taking the subway home. He's got an ugly wife while he right. has these two supermodels right. on his yacht. And then, right. Uh, he throws the fun coupons where he just has that mm-hmm. wad of hundreds. I really like that scene, too. But I think my personal favorite scene is the scene with McConaughey at lunch. Oh, where he's like, bring us a vodka and whatever. And yeah, five the whole, minutes after the whole that. thing. Uh, yeah. Um, it just... Uh, He's talking about like the martinis and like what he does to get into kind of his mindset. But I, I, I like that scene the best because I think essentially like McConaughey is essentially he is the kind of the synopsis of the movie wrapped up as a character. Yeah. Because like Jordan kind of looks kind of naive and looks like he's when you first meet him, he's not essentially the piece of shit he becomes. He's not like he even, um, like Matthew McConaughey is talking about ordering a martini and da da da. And then he says, he'll just have water like that. Even in itself from the point where he's getting to the point he, he drinks all day long. He takes Ritalin or Adderall, whatnot. He takes lewds. He does Coke. He does all these crazy things. To where at the beginning, he just wants water instead of just one drink. Like, that's just, it really says, like, how somebody can influence you to go from one point to another. Mm. Yeah, and so. basically, he's telling him, like, your purpose in life is to take money from these investors and put it in mm-hmm. your pocket. Right. And right. basically, like, you know, you don't let them cash. Like, and I thought I was very telling, like, you don't let them cash out you make them think that they're getting rich but you're the one getting rich yep and i i just think that's such a great scene just because like i'm first off mcconaughey is absolutely brilliant in that and like this is during the uh i think is what they called it when he like 
went from being in uh his career is kind of starting to tank a little bit. He was just kind of doing like these run of the mill rom coms. Mm-hmm. And he does a movie called Killer Joe, which is a very underrated gem. But then he comes out with uh consecutively he does Dallas Buyers Club the same year. Mm-hmm. He wins the Oscar for that. Right. He does this Wolf of Wall Street cameo. Probably one of his most iconic roles. And then he follows that up with True Detective Season 1. Yeah. I mean, that's our murderer's row of like... Right, 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 right. Home run performances. Mm-hmm. But I think that, just the fact that he is just... I just like that scene because essentially... It's like when you... He just manipulates this kid by like, you know, you can... This can be you, but you have to do this to get to right. this. And he manipulates him by just acting like himself. Yeah. He's not really giving him like straight directives. This is what you need to do, this, this, and this. He's just like being himself, which is just a shitty fucking human. And then Leonardo DiCaprio just picks up on those unsaid words and is like, if I want to be like this guy, I got to do that Mm. kind of a thing. I think essentially he's the devil. You know what I mean? That's who he's supposed to personify. No, he's not personifying, but like, that's kind of like the vibe that he gets on. Like essentially he's the devil. He's like corrupting this. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah. Like I, I take drugs. I, he talks about how he beats off a couple times a day to kind of keep his right. mind sharp. He's doing all these right. drugs, but he's making all this money. Right. Which in Wall Street, that's what you're there to do of is course. to make money for yourself. Yeah, so, of course. I, don't know, I just think it's an incredible performance. And actually, it that's like the one scene that I can always watch over and over again from this. That If I'm yeah. showing a scene to anybody mm-hmm. about this movie that's never seen it, I'm showing them the, mm-hmm. the lunch scene with McConaughey. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. But there's sure. so, there's so much to choose from. It's it's hard. To- there is there are a lot. I mean, you have a movie that's three hours long, and there's and being that it is the good movie that it is, it it does make it hard to like for like if you're saying best scene, it does make it hard to pick just one because there are so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, both you have an excellent choice as well. I I always find that scene very hilarious. Oh, it is. It's so funny. Which is one of the reasons why I love it so much because the, the acting is just so well done and it's just so ridiculously funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to hear, and this is like just like revisiting this. There's so many quotable lines that you can use in this, and I'm surprised that I haven't used uh, more of these. But uh, this is the Andy Dufresne "Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying" award for the best or most quotable line of the movie. I'll tell you mine just because I, I think that the scene's really good too is uh, when he's, he visits the uh, Spike Jones at that, uh, shortly after he loses his job on Wall Street, he's trying to find a job. He sees the ad for uh, this little small company. He's looking for a stockbroker. He goes to interview for it. It's Spike Jones, the infamous music director. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, so then he takes that phone call and he... These guys, like he's talking to this potential client, like these guys have never heard anyone pitch stocks like this before. Mm-hmm. And I really like the line. He goes, I ask my clients not to judge me by my winners, but judge me by my lose my losers because I have so few. Mm. 
Yeah. And then like you just I just the way he delivers that mm-hmm. and like these guys are basically taking note. It's like, okay, we've been playing in the minor leagues and here we are. We have King Griffey Jr. Right. Playing right. on our team. Right. And they're like, they're just like, okay, we gotta take notes. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. They're just like astonished at how well he's doing at selling stocks to somebody. Yeah. Especially selling so many of penny stocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I know the most most people will probably gravitate towards the where he's uh given the big presentation and he says, I'm not going nowhere. Mm-hmm. That whole like that's right. awesome too. And I thought right. about using it's that so one. well known. Mm-hmm. But uh that one's probably my favorite just because it sticks out to me because that's a good way to really present yourself and to have confidence in yourself is like, mm-hmm. you know, like don't judge me by how many home runs I've hit. Just judge me by how few times I've failed. Right. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. Well, I mean, what was yours? So for me, it's when they're, um, Jonah Hill grew up with Steve Madden, the, the famous shoe designer. And he says, let me pull it up here so I so I get the the wording right on it. But basically, when they are introducing him to um the company, I guess the stockbrokers in the company, like at first they think that Steve Madden isn't really so much of a big deal. Like even though his shoes are blowing up everywhere, his shoes were the basically the nineties. And they're, you know, they're taking him public and they're, you know, doing the IPO and whatnot. And then nobody's really jazzed about Steve Madden at that specific company until Jordan Belfort gets up and just like fucking talks him up. And my favorite line from the movie is he's saying, this is our golden ticket to the fucking chocolate factory right here. And I want to meet Willie fucking Wonka. Okay. And then he goes on about the Oompa Loompas and so on and so forth. And that just gets them fired up. Uh Like he's just yelling it from the front. And then he's, you know, he brings Steve Madden back over and talks about how he'll suck him off right then and there. And he says that, you know, the other people that work there can do the same. And they just get like fired up by that. And I just, I love that line so much because he's just so into Steve Madden and he wants everybody else to be so into Steve Madden as well. Mm-hmm. And then at, at the end of that, then when they've gotten his IPO rolled out and da da da, and he's talking about how he owns 85% of Steve Madden's stocks, but Steve Madden doesn't know that. I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, Steve Madden is played by uh, Dustin Hoffman's son, Jake. Really? No, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I like the line too. Uh, once the uh, you find out that the uh, the owner of uh, the the Benihana company, the company that owns the Benihana restaurants, basically sets off the chain reaction that right. starts the downfall of Jordan Belfort when right. him and Donnie are uh, kind of having a little conference together. And he says, mm-hmm. uh, "I tell you one thing, I'm not eating at Benihana again, ever again. I right. don't care whose birthday it and, is." And who was it that was like Benihana, Benny fucking Hana? Of all things, who was it that, that was, was said Jordan. that? Was it Jordan? Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, I just I just love that because I'm not eating at Benny Hanna ever. Right. Game. I don't care who's birthday Like, I'm is. boycotting it. Like, I'm just done. <laughs> I think Donnie's actually got some of the best lines in the movie. I really like that exchange, too, where he says, basically, uh, Jordan f- finds out he's married to his cousin. 
Yes. And he says, you know, like, well, you know, out of respect, you know, like no one else is going to fuck my cousin. You know, <laughs> I think I should be the one who fucks my cousin. And it's like his first cousin. Or no, he's like, well, no, it's it's only my third cousin or or something like that. It's not my first cousin, right? He He just like... That makes it okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I know he said something, uh, Jordan says something about like their kids having like, because uh, that's like, I don't know if that's like legitimately like scientifically proven, but like, isn't it like if family members are like breeding together, it could cause like birth defects and like. Yeah, it's, it, it's incest and it's more so prevalent if it's like brother, sister or whatnot. It, it can cause like mental mental developmentally delays it can cause um facial features to look a little wonky um heart conditions just all kinds of shit um a lot of it's cognitively impaired type of things but it's more so a huge issue if it's like brother sister but even if it's like like uncle and um niece or first cousins you can still have those kind of um birth defects as well so well i i just find it uh funny when he said i mean it's it's not it's funny but it's kind of like you know piece of shit funny but uh he kind of describes like if he had kids Mm -hmm. that had like you know they were mentally challenged he says you know like i would just he would take them to a, a field and let them run free. He goes, go on, you're free. Right. You're free. Like you're just, like you're talking about an animal and not a, a human. Yeah, I like, like so weird. I kinda liken that to like, you know, people and it fucking sucks people do this, but like when people like drop like animals off at farms. And right. Stuff. Yeah, right. Kinda, They're just dumping a dog off, but you're talking about a human. They're talking about a, like it's a literal like pet that they had, like a cat or mm-hmm a bunny or a dog or whatever and they're just dropping an animal off versus an actual person like it's terrible mm. yeah so, i mean donnie is so fucking like he's i think he's actually more inappropriate and oh yeah more of a piece of shit than oh even Jordan he is. definitely is for sure yeah for jo- sure jonah hill's great in it though but uh he is. Yeah, I, I think he's got some of the best lines of the movie. Um, speaking of uh, great performances, uh, this brings us to the McLovin okay. Award. This is the award that we give for the best or the scene-sealing performance by a supporting player in the movie. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to get your... Uh, thoughts on who you would uh, give this award to so for me it would be mad max which is jordan belfort's a dad i think he's like what like security or something he man he basically the- manages like he kind of oversees how they do that they spend money oh okay okay so he does that on the daily basis but then i like how jordan describes him as He's very like a calm person until all of a sudden he can just flip a switch like they're watching. What is it? The equalizer, him and his wife. And he's super calm. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and it's like, who the fuck is calling me during this? And he's just ranting. And then it talks about him answering the phone and he gets like a weird British accent. Hello, how are you? Oh, good. Thank you. And it's so weird. And then he hangs up. And he's like, what the fuck? She calling da da da. And it's it's great. And you can see, well, uh, it makes complete sense why he has the nickname Mad Max. And it, I I just 
love his father's character. I, I just think he is so comical. Yeah, uh, he is actually played by a very, very, very accomplished uh, film director, Rob Reiner. Oh, okay. Uh, you might have heard of a couple of his movies. Stand By Me. Oh, yeah. Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. A Few Good Men. Yeah. Yeah. Good movies. Yeah, he's... Uh, which actually, this movie has uh, uh, Rob Reiner's in it, John Favreau's in it, and I think I'm trying to think of the other director that's in that too. But um, yeah, that's a good nominee for me. Uh, I'm I would probably nominate McConaughey. I just think that in terms of like cameos in movies, I think that McConaughey as uh, Mark Hanna is just like legendary. I think it's probably one of the best film cameos of all time, just because he steals, steals that entire scene. I just think it's a very, very memorable performance. However, I do want to give a special shout out to uh, John Bernthal as Brad. Who's, who's Brad? Brad is uh, one of the first guys that joins George's team. He's the guy with the handlebar mustache. Is that the one that was at the investor connection that he has the interview with? No, uh, no Brad is the guy. Um, he's the one that ends up getting busted uh, when Donnie tries to give him the money and they get into the argument in the parking lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's okay, the okay. He's the one that has the um, Slovakian wife, right? Or Slovenian wife. She has a passport. She has a, a she was born in Switzerland yeah, or something. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I just he is the slimy guy that it just in every town he's the guy that ends up like he's out of high school and he's the kind of the loser and hangs out with the yeah. high school kids to try to make himself like be like I'm still cool, I'm hanging out with these Right, right. Because I always love that scene where he's uh He's bench pressing and he tells uh, all his kids, he goes, have your, have your sisters come. They can watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks yeah. me every time yep, I hear yep, it. Yep. Bernthal's awesome in it though. But I mean, there's so many like awesome, like performances are just like kind of blink. If you miss them, like Kyle Chandler's not even in this very long. I really like him as the, uh, the FBI agent too. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it denim? Denim. Yeah. Uh, he's the the FBI agent. He's the one that busts him at the end. He's the one that goes to the yacht. I'm just trying to think of his name. It's not Kyle Chandler. It's yeah, Kyle Chandler's the actor that plays. The oh, FBI. that's his. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's his real name in real life. You're trying to think. You're talking about his character name. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, just a special shout out to uh, Shea Wiggum. He plays a. Uh, Captain Ted Beecham batting down the hatches. He's oh. the uh, that guy. I just anything that guy's in, I'll like I'll tune in. He's so awesome. Is he just like a character actor? Yeah, yeah he's been in a bunch of stuff. He um, was in uh, the new Mission Impossible movie. He's uh, fuck. He was in one of the the Danny McBride HBO shows. Uh, he was in uh, Vice Principals. He was who did uh, he play? Uh, he was uh Danny McBride's daughter's uh stepdad or boyfriend, the one at the BMX. I th- think I know who you're I know about. when you think of the Danny McBride HBO yeah. comedies, uh, Vice Principals is usually like the one that everyone thinks of the yeah, least, right? Right, but uh, yeah, always like Ted. 
Um, actually, uh, Ethan Supley's in this too, briefly. Ethan Supley, where's he at? He's one of the um, Jordan's guys too. He looks a little different. He's got a mustache. He's kind of got like that long hair, but he's got that receding hairline. Oh, it's like that yeah, little, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. The little so landing I, I strip. Didn't think about that for a second. But yeah, tons of great supporters. But I, I have to give it to McConaughey because I, just, oh, I think for sure. I, I think it's just that. that is like in terms of like movie cameos, it's top two or three all time for me. I'd agree with that. Um. I don't think there's any really unsolved mysteries because it kind of lets you know, like, basically, like, what happens to right. Jordan. Like, he goes to prison, right. he pays for his crimes, and right. he tries to... He comes out and he tries to make a better life for himself. Yeah. Um, for sure. I don't know if you've done uh, an episode since we introduced this category. We usually take, like, what's the most, like, insert the year of the movie or where the movie takes place, moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what is the most late '80s, early '90s moment? Of this oh yeah, movie? I I was with you. I think on the first or second podcast episode where you introduced this yeah. category. Um, I'll give you mine. And okay. The reason I I'll bring my introduce my first is you talked about Rob Reiner, mm-hmm. bad or Max Belfort getting pissed off mm-hmm. that. Uh, he got a phone call during the Equalizer. Oh, the Equalizer, because yeah. that was a show in the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. If he were watching the Equalizer today, he could easily pause it because he would have either been streaming it. Right. Or he would have had a DVR. Right. But since this yeah. was the late 80s, unless he's recording it on a VHS tape, he's just going to miss it. Yeah, exactly. And then he's all pissed off when his wife wasn't giving him like a good enough update it as to what occurred when he was on the phone with his fake British accent. <laughs> uh, so. Younger, I, I knew people like that. That if you enter, like, don't call them at certain times. Because mm-hmm, their the, show was on. Yeah, my yeah. my grandmother was a huge fan of the uh, the television show Dallas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't ever call the house on Friday from hours of nine to ten, unless it was an absolute. She get pissed she would off. Never, she would she just wouldn't answer the phone. Oh, my mom was like that with Guiding Light, that soap opera that ran for years. I don't know, forty plus years, between the hours of four and five, Monday through Friday. Don't bother. I mean, if the phone rang, don't make a bunch of noise. Don't answer the phone because she was watching friggin' Guiding Light and. Lord above, it, the whole world could be ending. It didn't matter. She was still watching her old wooden console TV. Good old guiding light. <laughs> we had one of those console TVs too, except... Uh, I think everybody did in our ours, age range. Uh, ours was essentially like the running gag. I forget what uh, blue-collar comedian had mentioned. Like uh, your working TV sits on top of your non-working yes, TV. That was yes, my house. That's hilarious. Yeah, my, my grandparents were... They just put the non-working hillbillies. TV and put it on top because they just didn't feel like getting rid of it and said, right. fuck it, and ran the wooden console one on the bottom till it ran out, too. Mm-hmm. Did yep. they stack them up in threes, like when that one went out, too? We never got threes. We oh. got got to two. Got to two, okay. Because, I mean, essentially, yeah, the old wooden console TV was pretty much decorative furniture. Yeah, I mean, it was so heavy and sturdy. You could have used it definitely as like a chair or something <laughs> or, yeah. a, or a sitting stool, stepping stool. Um, 
we have a category here. Uh, we've been trying to get a corporate sponsor for it. Still have had no luck yet. Okay. Uh, trying to get a restaurant chain to sponsor the uh, hot off the skillet take for. Do you uh, want my? Do you want my eighties? Oh yeah. I, yeah, I I feel completely awful. I'm That's such okay. a horrible host. Um. So for me, it would be them like them being in the high powered world of stockbroking, but it could be applicable to any high powered position during that area. Just them doing coke all the time, like that was a big thing during the 80s is you know high power people that worked like 89 day hours a week or whatever they did coke to help them stay awake and to stay alert so they could conduct business that was to me was just such an 80s thing like oh that's a good one yeah that's that, really good it, yeah it just that just screamed 80s and 90s to me and at one point in the movie Leonardo DiCaprio even smokes crack with Jonah Hill like that's another like 80s thing too that's yeah, like a nod to the huge crack epidemic of the 80s yeah because they said so, something about uh he found they got a hold of this drug called they call it a crack right so they had never really heard much about it right so yeah that's that's a and good it, one and it kind of segues too that's before he really had a lot of money it kind of segues as he made more money he didn't need crack anymore he could afford more extravagant drugs like coke and lewds and and just different things like that so but yeah, total nod to the 80s there for me. Oh, that's that's a good one. I have to give it to that. Definitely bravo. Thank you. If I had a uh, if I had Rob Reiner here, I'd have him do bravo in that that English <laughs> and his his fake British accent. <sighs> well, as I was uh getting to before uh I was such a horrible uh host and did not allow you to answer. Oh, you're good. No uh, worries. I mean, I'm a horrible host, but it's for other reasons besides that too. <laughs> Um, still have not yet to find a uh, restaurant chain to sponsor our uh, category, the hot off the skillet take for your hottest mm-hmm. take regarding okay. this movie. Uh, so I'm imploring Applebee's or <laughs> Waffle House. I really think Waffle House should do it. But so yeah. Waffle House, if you're listening, once again, come on board. We'd love to have you as our sponsor for this category. But um, do you have a, a hot take regarding this movie? Because I have one. Um. You go first, and then I'll think about it for a minute. Okay. Uh, as we know, uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, a very accomplished actor, uh, has only won a one Academy Award so far, and he won that for The Revenant, which a good role. But I am of the belief that The Revenant Oscar is a makeup Oscar for him not winning for this. I think that if he... It, this is kind of like his version of Goodfellas. He should have won his Best Actor Academy Award for this. I think this is Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance. I I can't say that I disagree with that. I mean, he's he's phenomenal in this movie. I'm trying to. He's I'm so gonna... multifaceted. He's serious. He's funny. He's full of bullshit. He just. He when he's playing the role of Jordan Belfort in this movie, like I think one of the things I love most about Leonardo DiCaprio is it's almost like he's not acting. It's almost like he becomes one with the character and he actually becomes the character when he's in acting mode, which I think is is something that really sets him apart from a lot of other actors because he's so good at doing that. 
And I feel like with a movie like this, you you have to be able to do that to make the role believable. And he's just am- amazing at that. Leo's always done uh, a very good job of. Uh, he's kind of known for being very a very handsome actor, very f- handsome person. Which oh, absolutely. So, I, I wish I I was half as handsome as he. Oh, you are my love. Um, but he does a really good job of playing like ugly people. Not so much looks wise, but like their soul, like they just they, have ugly insides, or they have yeah, they're troubled mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Jordan Belfort, uh, Dom Cobb in Inception, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, he is probably like this is the most one of the most. Uh, deplorable people he's ever played mm-hmm. but yet you still kind of like him mm-hmm. which i think is an incredibly yeah, it's a it very is. fine line and you, you kind of almost feel bad for liking him mm-hmm. but he, i mean he's kind of a he's an asshole but you kind of like him and i think it's a very tough i think it's because you're really rooting for him to become a better person like he's such a piece of shit but you see like some semblance that he could become a halfway decent human and I think that's a, a lot of the reason why people do root for him in this movie is because they they see that little spark that he could actually be a halfway decent human being. Uh, just as a uh, quick uh, sidebar, uh, Leo lost out uh, on Wolf of Wall Street to Matthew McConaughey for the Dallas Buyers Club. Mm, okay. Which, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that, but McConaughey's incredible. I have. It's been. Is that the one that he lost a lot of weight for? Yeah, you actually see him trying to gain his weight back because he did uh, Dallas Buyers Club into Wolf of Wall Street. You can yeah, tell he how was definitely very he thin in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, it's it's kind of hard to take it away from McConaughey, but I mean, when you look at uh, this ten years from now, mm-hmm. you're probably going to remember. Wolf of Wall Street more than you will Dallas Buyers Club. Probably so. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So yep. that's that's my take. Uh, he should have won, and this is his best performance. I'd agree with that. What about you? Do I think it's his best performance? Do you, what, or Do you have a hot take? Um, Other than what you already stated, probably not. I, I can't think of anything. I mean, I I will say that I think that Jonah Hill, I could have seen him getting, I don't know if he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. He did. Uh, he did, but he, he didn't yeah, win. Yeah, you did not pay attention to the tail of the tape at all. Uh, I did too. I did pay attention to the tail of the tape, but who won over him for that year? Uh, the uh, Best Supporting Actor that year was uh, Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, you didn't say that in the tail of the tape. I think I would have remembered if you said Jared Leto. Well, I didn't say who won, but uh, I did I, say that Jonah Hill was nominated. Nominated, okay. I was curious as to who won over that. But it's been a hot minute since I've seen the Dallas Buyers Club also, so I can't say comparing Jared Leto's performance in that to Jonah Hill's performance in this movie, what was better. I'd have to watch that and see for myself. But Yeah, uh, that year was uh, Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. Barkhad Aditi for Captain Phillips. He's the one that goes, look at me. I'm the captain now. 
I Captain seen Phillips. That movie in oh, a long Captain Phillips time. is good. No, I've I've seen it. You and I have seen it together. I believe it's just been a long time since I've uh, seen it. Bradley Cooper for American Hustle. I honestly, you could get rid of that. Be perfectly cool. Uh, Michael Fassbender for Twelve Years a Slave, and then Jonah Hill. Okay, gotcha. So, but yeah, Jonah Hill is fantastic in it. Yeah, uh, he, he's so good in this. Movie. And he'll get one one day. Yep. Uh, but so you okay. don't have a hot take. Nothing. Nothing else that I could think of besides that. But. Obviously, he already got nominated, so. Yeah. Um, the Hall of Fame, last category of the movie. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'll ask you a series of uh, random questions to see if this movie would fall into a Hall of Fame wing. Okay. Um, movies about uh, Wall Street or uh, f- like just financial movies. Do you think this is a Hall of Famer? First ballot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say it would be this Wall Street the big short was really good. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. But I'm, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the, this type of movies in a while either. So yeah, but I think in terms of like you think of Wall Street movies, it's easily this and Wall Street. Oh, yeah. is Wall Street the one with Gordon Gecko? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's such a good. Agreed. Um, man, you had to put those in the octagon one day. Have them two battle it out. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street versus uh. Wall Street, which is the better Wall Street movie? Um, That's a tough choice. Would you... Now, this uh, particular performer has got a huge, vast catalog of iconic roles. Would you put this... You had to pick five DiCaprio movies to put into a Hall of Fame. Would Wolf of Wall Street be one of them? I think so, yes. What would your other ones be? What, of DiCaprio? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Um, this boy's life. Um, damn, Inception, and I really liked him in Romeo and Juliet. I know some people were kind of iffy on that movie, but I thought he was phenomenal yeah. in in his version of Romeo and Juliet. Those some interesting choices. I think that was five. One, two. Yeah, I think that was five. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd put this in there too. Like I said, my hot takes. I think this is his best performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say. Uh, this one, uh, Rick Dalton, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, shit. Yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes. I was thinking more older movies. I have never seen it, but considering how iconic it is, Titanic would obviously have to be. Yeah, see, his, well, no. I love that movie. I've seen that movie multiple. I know you haven't seen it and you made a commitment not to ever see it, but I've seen it multiple times. And I still think some of his other roles are better than Titanic. Well, I, I not, really do. I'm sure he's got better performances. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of like, that's the movie that if you're using this as a uh, like a baseball and like or sports terminology, this is mm. like he's kind of like the rookie that f- takes the next step to being an mm-hmm. all star. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? See that? Yeah. So I mean, like this is the movie that puts him on the map, makes him uh, an A list star, mm-hmm. and he's on his way. Yeah, I could see that. So I mean, I would say yeah, it would be. Uh, Rick Dalton, Jordan Belfour, Jack from Titanic. Hmm. I would say Calvin Candy and Django Unchained because he is he's, fucking he's, evil and he is really, really good in that yeah, movie. Yeah, he is good in that movie. Um, And then I would probably say... I'd say you have to give it to The Revenant because he did win an Oscar for it. True. Although I think for me, I would maybe put something like Inception in there or mm-hmm. 
Uh, Catch Me If You Can, he's really good in that too. But I, I'll say The Revenant. Did he? He's only won one Academy Award, right? Yeah, okay, for The Revenant. He should have won it for this. But he's but... been mo- he's been nominated multiple times, right? Yep, he's got the best. Uh, He's got a couple of Best Supporting Actor nominees. He's got multiple Best Actor nominees or nominations. But he's only got one win. Hmm, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, movie cameos. As we discussed, uh, I am of the belief that uh, I think McConaughey's uh, Mark Hanna is probably one of the best movie cameos or best uh, performances that have less than 10 minutes of screen time mm-hmm. in movie history, I'm going to say yes. I would agree with that as well. I I can't think of anyone else better in this movie than Matthew McConaughey for that at all. Yeah, I mean, I would say I put it in that same, like, I really liked Bill Murray's cameo in Zombieland. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell in uh, Wedding Crashers is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Barbie too. He had a cameo in Barbie as well. Who's that? Will Ferrell. I thought he was the kind of the bad guy of that movie. I've not seen all the Barbies. He so. sort of was, but he had more so of a cameo appearance. He was only in that movie for ten to fifteen minutes. Really? Honestly, yeah, it wasn't very long at all. But yeah, I mean, he was the bad guy. He was like the head of Mattel, but he he was still not in there for very long at all in that movie. Last one. I always like to try a comical one. Uh, cocaine in movies, or cocaine is a uh, a prop in movies. <laughs> More about it. Would this make the Hall of Fame for that? Oh, shit. More than blow? Well, I would say Scarface. It's got to be the... I don't think I've ever seen Scarface. Um, you talk uh, about... Al, Sc- Al Pacino's Scarface. Um, I'm going to throw another hot take out here right now. Uh, Scarface, incredibly overrated. Is it? As a gangster. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen Scarface. Uh, I'm, if I I'm, have, it's been a long time and I don't recall a lot of I it. I have to revisit it at some point, but yeah. it has a reputation. Does it have more cocaine use in it than this movie? Uh, Al Pacino sits on a mountain. Or like, he basically has a mountain of cocaine right in front of him right before like the... The climax of the movie. Yeah, he's a cocaine dealer oh, in that movie. You mean like a little mountain? Yeah, like, like taller pile, than him. Like, it looks like a Olive Garden. Like somebody like didn't say stop when they came around with the Parmesan cheese. Shit. Okay. So I mean, I I don't. I guess I don't have a lot to compare it to. But yeah, there's a lot of cocaine use in this movie. Like you see it in no. I don't want to say every scene, but more than half. I. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it starts out, it literally, the movie starts out with cocaine. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'd probably say so. Or just, yeah. Heavy drug use in movies. In general. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Lots of drug use in that movie for sure. All right. Um, well, that's all I got for you today. Uh, thanks for coming on on such short notice. I do appreciate it. Sure. It's not like I had to travel very far to get here. Yeah. It's all good. Always welcome in the, the revamped studio. We got some blinds now. I know. I love it. We got plants. We do. We have plants. And always like, lots of plants. And we always have access to a, like a coffee maker or yeah. a fridge with plenty of beverages that wet yeah. your whistle when you're talking. So yeah. That's I mean, right. This uh, studio's got it all. 
But um, it surely does. Do you have anything you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I don't have anything additional. Just thank you for having me on here again. I appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, it was my pleasure as well. All right. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on. And thank you, all of you, for listening uh, to today's show. Be sure to follow us. Uh, I have the links in the uh, description below. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Twix, or whatever the hell they're calling themselves this week. Uh, We are on threads. Going to start working on uh, TikTok. I say that every week. I am really going to start making a concerted effort to start putting TikTok videos out there. You can communicate with us via email, which is also in the show description below. Be sure to leave us a five-star review if you are digging what we're doing here on the show on Apple. Uh, It really helps uh, support the show. And if anyone ever searches for Wolf of Wall Street on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast, uh, they would probably find our show sooner than some others if you leave us that review. And plus, it helps us give you a much better program. You can also leave us a star review on Spotify, which is pretty cool too. So if you listen to us on one of them, we would really, really greatly appreciate you taking a brief moment to uh, leave us a review. So until next week, which we start Unconventional Christmas Movie Month, uh, we've got a doozy coming up for you next week. So uh, be sure to follow us on social media. Find out what we're, uh, we've got cooking for you on the next episode. So until next week, we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.